Welcome to Calvary Live. We are so glad you could join us through our podcast. Here at Calvary, we want you to live life at the highest level through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope today's message will be an encouragement. We're going to go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. For, for this season, for the next few weeks, this is, this is going to be my last message in this series. And uh, God has really spoken to us out of this. And, and I'm praying that, that we are not just hearing the word, but we're doing it. Amen? That we're on track with that and making it happen. So let's, let's read this account. This is the day of Pentecost. This is how the church formed and reacted and did life uh, when it was birthed in that upper room. This was the immediate lifestyle of the church. And it was so dynamic. It, it is God's plan how many of you would agree with your pastor and said, God's plan can't be improved by man's plans? How many would say amen to that? Let me hear you today. Absolutely. So let's take a fresh look. Let's look again. Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Those were the four values that drove everything they did. It was the structure for how the church operated. Now, as they committed to these things and, and, and developed this culture of the Word of God, prayer, and fellowship and connection, what was the result of that? Let, let's keep reading. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles, created an, an atmosphere for the Holy Spirit to continue to move and be outpoured miraculously. Verse 44, all the believers were together. And had everything in common. There was a supernatural unity that came upon those men and women. Next we read, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. There was a supernatural generosity. It wasn't forced or primed or, uh, you know, those types of things. It was genuine and real. Let's keep reading. What happens? Every day they continue to meet together. Where? Watch this. In the temple courts, the gathering, the large gathering, and... They broke bread in their homes, and what happened? Ate together with glad and sincere hearts. That's that rhythm, the large gathering, the small gathering. Together, they allow God to do everything that he wants to do in the church. Verse 47, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. God wants to build his church. Can somebody say amen to that? He doesn't want us to have to wait to Sunday to see someone get saved. He doesn't want us to have to wait to one day a week to be the church. What we do here on Sunday is dynamic and irreplaceable. Did you hear that term? Irreplaceable. But it flows out of here into all these different avenues that, that God works in and through. It's the dynamic life of a real Holy Spirit-filled church, Christ-centered church. So, so this narrative we just read, as I said, this is going to be our last time here in this series for a few weeks. We may revisit. But what I want you to see, let's look at this. This was a supernatural gathering. I'm not afraid to use that word. I want us to use that word. This was a supernatural gathering. We read earlier in this chapter that the men and women that comprised this church had come from over 20 different nations. There were different races. There were different languages. There were different traditions. There were different, they dressed differently, they spoke differently, but something had coalesced them into this never seen before unit. What was it? The body of Christ. 
What happened was their old nature, see, their old nature, their old limitations, their searching, their hurting had powerfully been transformed when they met Jesus. Anybody with me today? And what we need to understand is the way God builds his church is not through human ability, but through supernatural divine ability. And when God gathers men and women who have really encountered him, whose lives have been changed and transformed. Oh, we're not perfect. How many are thankful we're still under construction and God hasn't given up on us? Amen? You know, I say it a lot, but we need to hear it a lot. One of the greatest statements ever uttered is that God will save us just like we are. How many are thankful for that? I didn't have to get ready. When I was saved, I gave God a mess. Anybody else with me? I, 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 I brought some baggage to the altar. Anybody, I brought some trouble, some, some hang-ups, some stronghold, some problems, some issues to the altar. So one of the greatest statements ever, God loves us enough to save us just like we are, but I love the second one. You have to say with it, he loves us too much to leave us in that same condition. Thank you, Lord. But for most of us, it's a process. Am I right? It's a process. Now, I'm going to tell you, there was some instant transformation in my life. How many had some instant transformation? But I, I had deliverance at that altar. God broke some things off of me. But there were some other areas the Holy Spirit had to work on George Sawyer. Anybody under construction? You understand what I'm saying? He, he accepted me. He said, <laughs> and, and I think when God saved me, he called some angels and the Holy Spirit said, come on, let's roll up our sleeves. This boy's going to need some help. We're going to have to work on this guy. You, you understand this? You know, but thank God. Thank God. That's his church. We, we, the church is not a human gathering. We're not a club. We're not a political party. We're not a human organization. We are the body of Christ. We were everywhere and all over the place. And we were saved when we met Jesus. And that nature, that commonality, that's greater than our, our race, our language, our traditions, religion and ritual, put us together. And, and, and this is how that church lived. This is how the church uh, changed the known world. And, and, and what we have here, and this is what I want you to see today, is that God was now, hear what I'm saying, was now beginning the construction process of his dwelling place. We had seen scripture and prophecy and the law evolve into grace. And now God was building his church. Jesus had said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We, we are a part, I want you to get this, of God constructing his dwelling place on earth. Pastor, what does that mean? Well, we've been reading. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 19. I, I'm excited to be a part of Ephesians 2 verse 19 of God's building a dwelling place on earth. We go back and I'll, I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but God has always wanted to be close to his people. Aren't you thankful for that? Isn't it sad to, to hear some people talk, even Christians, that think God's against them, that God's distant, that God's far off. No, God has always wanted to be close to you. You have always been the passion of his heart. You have always been his end game. You have always been the reason he does what he does. 
And, and he's building something. He's taking those of us who were lost, who were bound, who were searching. And, and through his transforming grace, through the cross of Jesus Christ, he's now taking our, our disparate lives and putting us together. And it's for a reason. So on this earth, God can dwell by his spirit and people can behold his glory. Ephesians 2.19, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens. How many are thankful you're not a foreigner? <laughs> you're not an alien. I, you know, I, I, I'm not here today and I don't belong. I belong because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You ready? We are citizens, fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. That's why we like to call it the family of God. Huh? Welcome home. Welcome to the family. Aren't you thankful you have a family? You know, families are being just devastated by our culture, but God's building a healthy family, an accepting family, a, a well family. So let's keep reading. This household, this household God is doing, it says, verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. It's obvious he's not talking about a physical building here. It is a spiritual building. God's building a spiritual dwelling. Let's keep reading. In him, in Christ, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, in Christ, you too, would you look at the person on either side of you and say, you too? Come on, tell them. You too. Somebody ought to name a group that. I'm just, okay, let's go on. Say, you too. You too. What are we reading here? You too are what? Being built how? Look at them and tell them that word too. Come on, say together. You see this thing? God's always a connector. How many understand that? God's always connecting. Can somebody say amen to that? The devil's always dividing. If you want to know if the devil's working, just look. Is it causing division? It's the devil. Is your marriage getting divided? It's the devil. Is the church getting divided? It's the devil. Are races getting divided? It's the devil. Are generations getting divided? It's the devil. If you see division, it's the devil. If you see unity, it's God. Not that hard, guys. Can we see that thing? The devil's the divider. God's a connector. Man, I like being in the connection home. In him, you too are being built. See, there's a, there's a uh, process. God's hands on us. We're being assembled. We're being built together. Why? To become a... See, I like this dwelling. Not a place he visits. Huh. Understand what I'm saying? <laughs> Your dad wants to live with you. Your father wants to live with you. Your father wants to stay with you all the time, 24-7. He said, I'm not creating a visitation. I'm building a dwelling, a dwelling constantly there. A dwelling where? In which God lives by spirit. Do you see that God is taking the lives of born-again men and women assembling us together so that there in the midst of this spiritual building, God lives there, stays there, dwells there, is always there, ready and available there to show this world who he really is. It's, it's an amazing, 
amazing thing. I, I, I want you to see that uh, today I want to show you something. I, I, I want to take you through a journey that, that is a picture of redemption and grace and restoration. There's a moment in what I'm about to show you in this God working through the centuries to build this dwelling where along the way there was some horrible failure, but God restored. See, this house that God builds, this dwelling place of God is remarkable. It's supernatural. It's life-changing, and, and, and we need to see this. We need to get our arms around this. Go to Acts chapter 7. In, in these few verses, uh, we see this whole journey uh, encapsulated. Uh, Acts 7 and verse 45, 45, Acts 7, 45. Uh, this is such a powerful illustration of the glory of God's dwelling place. Acts 7 and verse 45. So Stephen is speaking before the Sanhedrin. He's, he's trying to help them understand this new building, this new dwelling place, this thing that God is doing. And we reach for verse 45, and let's follow this. He says, having received the tabernacle, all right? Having received the tabernacle, our fathers under Joshua brought it with them when they took the land from the nations God drove out before them. So there was a tabernacle. Remember, God gave Moses the direction for it on the mountain, and they assembled it, a, a tabernacle, a, a, an extravagant tent structure they carried with them through their wilderness journey. God said he made that decree and direction and, and they fashioned a tabernacle so he could dwell in the midst of his people. It's always been the heart of God. God has never run away from us. We've run away from him. But he's always ran toward us. How many hear what I'm saying? It's the heart of God. So, so there was this original tabernacle of Moses in the wilderness. Let's keep reading. It says, it remained in the land until the time of David, who enjoyed God's favor and asked that he might provide what a, what a, notice the terminology. Now, it, it, when it came to David's time, David said, Lord, hey, I want to build a dwelling place for you. That was the heart of David. Let's keep reading. But it was Solomon who built the house for him. Okay? However, the Most High does not live in houses made by men. As the prophet says, look at this. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or where will my resting place be? Has not my hand made all these things? So you see this You see this journey right here in these verses, encapsulated right here. He says to them, Moses built a structure that was portable and moved with them through the wilderness journeyings. The heart of God to do that was to be close to his people. Then he said, we go to David, and, and David wanted to build a dwelling place for God, but God said, not you, your son Solomon. Then Solomon built this extravagant temple. But you have to understand that the, then God says, but see, don't miss this. He says, but don't you understand? No one can build a place big enough for me, grand enough for me, 
deserving of me. No man with his hands can assemble a place for God to dwell that is all that it needs to be. Although Moses made a tabernacle that at least gave the people a point of reference to God, Moses' tabernacle, because of the condition of man and them needing to learn and be taught and educated, what happened, that tabernacle was one with many limitations. There were walls and a veil and only the high priest could come in and the people stood at a distance. You understand that place, that tabernacle was limited and restricted and hindered. And David says, I want to build one. And says, God says, no, it's your son Solomon. And Solomon built a grand building worth billions of dollars in today's economy. But it had the same guideline. There were walls and veils and restrictions and rituals. You understand? But then the Bible says in between Moses' tabernacle built by human hands and Solomon's temple built by human hands, there was somebody in the middle named David who was close to understanding what God really wanted because David was a man after God's own heart. Are you with me? He's a man who chased the heart of God. He's a man who understood what God was really all about. He recognized early God's not about ritual and formality and veils and limitations and only a few people coming in. There was something David did that those other two weren't able to accomplish. What are we learning today? God's building a dwelling place. God's building a dwelling place. We can't do that. We're not capable of that. But God, hallelujah, thank God, is building a dwelling place. What did David do they didn't do? Look at these verses. I have them for you here. Amos 9, 11. This one little verse prophecy buried in these Old Testament prophets. Gives us insight to what David did. Amos 9, 11. I've got it here in a couple of translations. I want you to see this. Watch this. This is the New King James. On that day, watch this. I will raise up the tabernacle of David. Now Moses had one, elaborate. And Solomon's was beyond physical description. But of all of those, God says, you know, in the last days, when I build My dwelling place. Everybody with me? I'm not going to repeat the one Moses built. I'm not going to redo the one Solomon built. I'm going to pick this one. I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. God says, I'm going to restore something as time goes on. I'm going to raise something up. i got one more translation up. I want you to see, just to see a little bit. In that day, I will restore the fallen house of David, this tent, this tabernacle. Look at this. I will repair its damaged walls from the ruins. I will rebuild and restore its former glory. Are you with me? What did David do? What, what happened when David became the king of Israel? The Ark of the Covenant, which is where the presence of God dwelt in Moses' tabernacle. In Solomon's temple, his son would someday build. David said, I'm going to go get the ark. See, Israel had lost the ark. Their enemies had defeated them and captured the ark. The presence of God was not theirs. Everybody with me? And David said, if I'm going to be the king, 
If I'm going to live in a palace, I'm going to live in the presence of Almighty God. And David brought the ark of God's glory back into Jerusalem. But when David brought it back, David's tabernacle, the one God said, that's my favorite one. Isn't that amazing? The favorite one. He didn't build Moses' tabernacle. He didn't build the temple Solomon would build. He just brought in the ark and set it down and put a simple tent over the top of it to protect it from the elements and their work. There were no walls and there were no veils and there were no restrictions and it wasn't limited to the priest. If you wanted the glory, you could walk in the tabernacle of David. If you wanted to worship God, you could walk in to the tabernacle of David. God said, I'm building a dwelling place and you don't have to be a priest or an apostle or a prophet or a pastor or an evangelist or a missionary or a PhD or a holiness or an elder or a bishop or uh, whoever else. If you're hungry, I'm going to raise up a house. I'm going to build a dwelling place. Just come in the blood of Jesus and walk into my presence and you can stand in my glory. God says, that's what I'm doing. That's the tabernacle. That's the dwelling place of God. It's amazing, isn't it? Out of all the things God could choose, the glory of the temple and the tabernacle, God says, you know... I like David's best. I'm going to restore. And, and I'm sure some of those familiar with the law, those in the Jewish faith, it must be challenging to say, you don't want that temple. You don't want our ritual. You don't want what you used to do. And you know what he said? I don't need it anymore because my son has come. And I don't need the goats and the bulls and the lambs and the rams and the doves because the perfect sacrifice has gone to the cross and the enmity between God and man has been wiped out. And by grace, just come on in the dwelling place. Walk on inside the temple. Come behold my glory face to face. No more walls. See, David, get this, had learned the value of hosting. The presence of God. Hosting the presence of God. Do you know what God is doing in his church today? Do you know why we're gathering together in one service for a season? Because Calvary, God is building a dwelling place. And we are learning to host the presence of God. Welcome presence of God. We desire you presence of God. We want to gather together in the dwelling place of God, not built by human hands, but in your presence. God, pull us together. Every race, every tongue, every culture, every age, everybody, any place, you're welcome through the blood of Jesus to come into the dwelling place of God. That's what God is doing. That's why we are gathering That's why we are meeting in our small group to take what he does when we gather and spread it everywhere we go so someone can what? Taste and see that the Lord is good. Now I want to show you a backstory that 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 is absolutely amazing and only happens in this kind of dwelling place that I'm teaching you. You see, when David established just that simple tent and... It was there for all to worship God. He put in place a structure of worship and prayer and praise that was unceasing 24 hours a day, seven days a week for over 30 years. 
24 hours a day. If you wanted to go worship at 3 a.m., there they were together. Lord, I praise you. God, I honor you. Lord, I behold your glory. The musicians were playing. The singers were singing. He took the Levites, the tribe of Levi that had been set apart to serve in the temple. See, in Moses' day, they carried the temple on their their back. When they broke the tabernacle down, the curtains, the walls, the stands, all these things, the Levites would carry it, set it up, serve there. But now in the house of God, or you're watching now in the dwelling place of God, we're not carrying around the artifact. We are releasing the glory. And so he says, you Levites have a new job. I don't need you to pick it up and take it down. I want you to come and worship God. I want you to serve. How do you serve the temple? Worship me. Honor me. Bring glory to my name. 24-7. Never cease worship and praise around God. If you study through these passages, you'll find that the tribe, that the family, a family under the tribe of Levi that had this closest job were the Kohathites. And out of this came a family. And have you ever noticed in your Bible, when you're reading through the Psalms, have you ever noticed? uh, I always thought David wrote all the Psalms. That's what someone always told me. And he wrote most of them. But as you begin reading through, they're here and there and here and there. In fact, 11 of the Psalms were written by the sons of Korah. Did you know that? Have you ever noticed that? Who are these guys? Who are the sons of Korah? Who were the worshipers so anointed, so chosen, so used of God that the Holy Spirit inspired them to write these psalms of praise? Eleven different places. They were part of these Levites, the Kohathites, that served in the house of God. These were men who were so uh, close to God, who so worshipped God, who were so lived to stand in his glory that God anointed them to write these psalms. And we read them today and we sing them today. Psalm 42 is one of those, verse 1, As the deer pants for water, so my soul thirsts for you, O God. These men knew the glory. (laughs) These men knew the presence of God. These men knew what it was like to serve him. They were respected and honored and anointed and used by God to this day. Are you with me? But if I back up seven generations, the sons of Korah were the, 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 the descendants of one of the greatest failures in Jewish history. I want you to look with me for a minute. I want you to go to Numbers chapter 16 and verse 1. Their great-grandfather, seven generations removed, Numbers chapter 16, had one of the most embarrassing, absolute failures that you'll ever read about in Scripture. I want to show you something about the dwelling place of God. I want you to see what happens when you come into His presence and how everything changes. Number 16.1, are you there? You need to see this. That's going to challenge some of us here, all right? How many up for the challenge? Okay, come on. God's going to show you both sides if you did. Number 16.1, Korah. Oh, who are these men? Sons of Korah. This is their ancestor, seven generations before. This man was a Levite, the son of Ishar, the son of Kohath, the son of Levi, 
and certain Reubenites, Dathan and Abiram, sons of Eliab, and on, son of Pila, became what? Insolent. I want you to understand, Korah was from the tribe of Levi. Korah and his family, I want you to understand, the Kohathites, as the tabernacle journeyed with Israel through the wilderness, Levi had three sons, different responsibilities. The Kohathites, listen to me, carried the ark. They carried the presence. The rest of the temple artifacts were carried on carts. These men carried the ark on their shoulders. They would wrap it. They couldn't touch it and carry it. These men, it it makes me think of Lucifer standing in the presence of God, worshiping him over the praise of heaven. Everybody with me? There's a lesson here. These men carried the ark. They were there in the presence. They were relatives of Aaron. They were there. But the Bible says they became insolent. Their pride consumed them. Watch this. Because, listen, no man, no man can build the glory of God. No man can assemble the glory of God. We are joyfully, humbly thankful to enter the presence of God. To be in the dwelling that God will build. So so watch this. They misunderstood what was happening because they looked from the level of man. Everybody with me? They became insolent. They rose up against Moses. Are you with me? Verse 2. And with them were 250 Israelite men, well-known community leaders who had been appointed members of the council. They came as a group to oppose Moses and Aaron and said to them, You have gone too far. The whole community is holy. Every one of them. And the Lord is with them. Why then do you set yourselves above the Lord's assembly? I think if I read my Bible, God did that. Okay. When Moses heard this, he fell face down. Then he said to Korah and his followers, In the morning the Lord will show who belongs to him. Moses said, I don't have to prove anything. I don't have to defend myself. Are you with me today? He said, The Lord called me, the Lord will defend me. All right, let's watch this. The Lord will show who belongs to him and who is holy, and he will have that person come near him. The man he chooses, he will cause to come near him. You, Korah, and all your followers are to do this. Take censers and tomorrow put fire and incense in them before the Lord. Now, see, that was reserved only for the priesthood. But he said, if you're who you say you are, then bring your censer. Okay? Tomorrow put fire and incense in them. The man the Lord chooses will be the one who is holy. You Levites have gone too far. All right? Moses said to Korah, now listen, you Levites, isn't it enough for you that the God of Israel has separated you from the rest of the Israelite community and brought you near himself to do the work of the Lord's tabernacle and to stand before the community and minister to him? Has he brought you and all your fellow Levites near him? But now you are trying to get the priesthood too? It is against the Lord that you and all your followers have banded together. Who is Aaron that you should grumble against him? How many are with me? Okay. Let's drop down to verse 28. Let's go to tomorrow. (laughs) Then Moses said, this is how you will know that the Lord has sent me to do all these things and that it was not my idea. 
If these men die a natural death and experience only what usually happens to men, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord brings about something totally new and the earth opens its mouth and swallows them with everything that belongs to them, and they go down alive into the grave, then you will know that these men have treated the Lord with contempt. There might be some folks in the church today that should be thankful for the grace of God. Mama, let's go. As soon as he finished saying all this, the ground under them split apart. And the earth opened its mouth and swallowed them with their household. And all Korah's men and all their possessions, they went down alive into the grave with everything they owned. The earth closed over them and they perished and were gone from the community. At their cries, all the Israelites around them fled, shouting, The earth is going to swallow us too. And fire came out from the Lord and consumed the 250 men who were offering the incense. Korah, Korah, their ancestor, defied the Lord, swallowed up alive, led a rebellion that failed. But here's what I want you to see. Seven generations later, here is great, 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 grandson have come into the house of God. Their grandfather failed, but the boys found God. The sins of the fathers were broken in the dwelling place of God. The generational curses fell off of them in the presence of God. The failures of their family were eradicated in the dwelling place of God. What man tried to do and failed, God did by the power of His Spirit. I want to tell you today, there may be abject failure, total embarrassment, humiliation. Can you imagine? Imagine living your life with that man's name on you. Everyone in Israel knew what happened. Every generation the story was passed down. I'm talking to somebody right now. Listen to me. I'm talking to you online right now. The Holy Spirit just showed me your face. Listen, there are people who are embarrassed. How can I go to God? How can I put my face out here? Everybody knows who I am. I'm a son of Korah. My family's a rebellious failure. My great-grandfather died before God. But there was something about this generation that said, although it's embarrassing, I'm going to the house of God. Although somebody might not like it, I'm going in the house of God. Although someone might say I don't deserve it, I'm going to go into the house of God and worship, worship, worship broke the chains off them, broke the failure off them. I'm going to tell you, in the dwelling where God builds... (laughs) There is nothing the devil has done that is greater than the presence of God. There is no family failure, embarrassment, guilt, or shame. If you've fallen and blown it, if everybody knows you messed up, the only thing you have to hope for is not hiding or shame or division. Get yourself up. Walk back into the dwelling place of God. Say, I am what I am by the grace of God. And worship, worship, worship till the chains fall off. Worship till the guilt falls off. Worship till the mercy comes on you. Worship until the glory comes. That's the dwelling place of God. That's why God said, I don't need what Moses built. And I don't need what Solomon built. I just need a place where you can get in my presence. That's the tabernacle of God. It's an amazing story. 
That's why God loves that place. That's why God's building His church. That's why we gather. That's why we meet. That's why we do what we do. So somebody, some son of Korah, who has nothing left, can find a place to walk into the presence of God. Let me tell you, uh, Samuel. You remember Samuel's account? Samuel, the little boy whose mama prayed for him. She was barren. She couldn't have a child. But she said, oh God, 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 would you bless me? Supernaturally, he was born. We're born supernaturally. Come on, anybody understand? You don't come in the house of God because of who your daddy was or what your family name is or what kind of lineage. He just said, I'm looking for some hearts. And his mom said, I need a boy. And if you give me a baby boy, I'll give him back to you. And Samuel came supernaturally conceived. She kept her word and put him there in the hands of Eli the priest. You understand Eli and his sons, Hophni and Phinehas, had miserably failed God. The priesthood had become a joke and a stench in the nostrils of God. It was ridiculed among the people. But there in the house of God, there in the presence of God, the Bible said little Samuel would lay down in the temple. Everybody else had gone somewhere and God found a child. He wasn't from the right lineage. In fact, do you know whose lineage he was in? He was also in Korah's family line. He was not in line in the Aaronic priesthood. He was not naturally born to be the priest. But when the priesthood fell, God reached over into another line and found a little boy and called him by name and raised him up. And Samuel became a mighty prophet of God. What I'm telling you today... Is that when you come into the dwelling place of God, it doesn't matter who failed, where they failed, how bad it is, how far down it was. The dwelling place of God, the tabernacle God is building. Worship team, come on and join me quickly. The worship, the, the place where you worship, the place where you come in and you don't go through the walls and the ritual and you don't have to send somebody in for you. You just say, God, here I am. Just as I am, here I am, God. I'm, I'm from the wrong family. I've got a bad name. My reputation's horrible. I'm embarrassed. I'm rejected. People look at me and don't want to be around me because of something that happened in my family. But God, I know your presence is all I need. I know if I can get in the dwelling place of God and I'm willing to worship you, you know what happens? God begins to change life. I want you to stand with me today. No, we're not leaving. We're going to take the next step together, all right? Stand with me, please. This isn't the leaving time. This is the staying time right now. Worship. Worship. Coming in. See, in, in, in those other buildings, the Tabernacle of the Wilderness, Solomon's Temple, uh, you, you, there were sacrifices of animals, sacrifice of goats and calves and turtle doves and bulls and rams. But you know the only sacrifice in David's Tabernacle, in, in, in the dwelling place God's building, the only sacrifice here is the sacrifice of praise. <laughs> the only walls there were the wall of people praising God, standing around the glory, praising Him, seeing Him, transformed by Him. I want you to understand something today. I believe there are people in this house right now. I believe there are people worshiping with us online right now. And this is what I want to say to you. I believe God wants you to enter in to the dwelling place, to come say, God... I can't defend myself anymore. God, I can't excuse myself anymore. 
God, it's not the failures of my path. Maybe your family didn't let you down. Maybe you let you down. Maybe you let somebody else down. And you lived your life with your head down, overwhelmed, hurting, embarrassed, ashamed. The only thing you can do is come back in the house of God. I don't mean just the building. I mean the presence. God, here I am. God, here I am. You know that's why Jesus went to the cross? Because we're never worthy to come in God's dwelling place. The best among us can't come unless the blood of Jesus brings us in. The best among us don't belong unless the blood of Jesus brings us in. Today's a day of restoration. Today's a day of saying, you know, I'm going to come in the dwelling place of God. I'm just going to boldly come on in. I, I need you, God. I need you. I need you. Maybe the devil's been beating you up. He's the accuser of the brethren. He's the accuser of the brethren. He says, you don't belong. You don't deserve. Look who you are. Look what you've done. Look at yourself. You know what? You know why he does that? Because as long as I'm looking at me, I'm not looking at him. And so what I have to do is bring all of me and come into the dwelling place and look at the glory. Say, God, change me. God, change me. God, change me. Would you be willing, wherever you are, to say, God, I want to come into the dwelling place. Maybe you love the Lord with all your heart. You just, life has been beating you up. And you just want to come and say, God, I just want to stand in your glory. I just want to worship you. I don't know how it happens, but it does. Those sons of Korah, with all their family failures, stepped up and said, I want to worship. I'm going to worship. And as they worshiped, their lives were changed. As they worshiped, hope came back. As they worshiped, the anointing came on them. They wrote psalms. Isn't it amazing? The failure of that family was reversed. And here they are writing things we see. Like the deer pants for water. I can go to Psalm 84. How beautiful is your dwelling place. Ah, oh God, my Savior. Do you know if you get close enough to Him, if you worship Him, if you get your eyes back on Him, these other things will just slip off of you. These other things will diminish in His glory. I wonder today how many of us need a fresh encounter with the glory of God. A fresh move. Oh, listen, we know how to go to church. We need to remember how to go to God. Everybody with me? We, we, we know how to go to church. Do we know how to go to God? Do we know how to humbly come in and say, I have no right to be here but Jesus. But that's enough. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. You can connect with us live each Wednesday and Sunday through our social media pages. If today's message has blessed you, please rate and review us so that more people can hear this message of Christ. Find out more about Calvary on our website at calvaryassembly.org.